So it's uh, summertime. It's time for a lot of families take vacations. We get to welcome millions of guests here in Estes Park every year, which is kind of a gift that we get to live in a place that people want to come. That's wonderful. Uh, we know something about hosting and, and seeing lots of people come. But when I say the happiest place on earth, what comes to mind? Probably Disney, right? It's, yeah. And, and why is that? You, know, you think about it, because it's, it's, it's really expensive. You go out there, and it's, as far as the rides go, they're, eh, they're okay. But, you know, why is it that that has stuck? Well, partly I think it has to do with that they have uh, really good marketing. That's partly there. But, of course, marketing only gets you so far. I mean, talk is cheap. There's a reason, I think, that in the psyche of people all over the world, we think of this as the, the happiest place on earth is because they've mastered something called hospitality. And they've done a really good job at it, uh, that uh, Disney has uh, created almost a science to it, down to anticipating the needs of their guests and thinking about those who are going to come and what they might need and preparing for those things in advance so that way when folks come, they feel welcomed, they feel uh, like they belong there. I mean, even down to like silly things, like the number of steps a person is willing to take before they, they they're with drop a piece of trash on the ground, which is about 30 feet, and which is why in Disney you'll find trash cans every 30 feet. Right? They, I mean, to the tiniest detail, they want to make people feel welcome. They even do training, friendliness training, for every single one of their people, even janitors, right? because attitude makes a difference. And that's a, it's an amazing thing how powerful this uh, hospitality is. But, uh, you know, when I say the, f- the uh, friendliest place on earth, uh, what comes to mind? Well, if we're doing things right, it should be the church. And there is a reason for that is that the church has at its core a virtue of hospitality. In fact, uh, we call it biblical hospitality, which is far better than even what Disney has. In Scripture, all the way through, we, we see God as a very hospitable God. In fact, when I was reading this week the 23rd Psalm, I was amazed by how God doesn't just reveal to himself as our shepherd, but also our host. Think about how he reveals himself there, that he provides for us, he cares for us, he leads us to what we need, he makes us comfortable, he sets tables for us, he makes our sure our cups overflow, right? He, through difficult things, doesn't abandon us, and at the very end, what does he do? Welcomes us into his own home as not just guests or strangers, but as family. I mean, God is a hospitable God, and it makes sense that the church should be a hospitable place. And in Scripture, when we read the word hospitality, of course, it's a translation, but, but uh, where we, what that word comes from, from the Greek, is uh, uh, philozenia, which is uh, like, xenia uh, means a stranger, and the philo means the love of, like a brotherly love for. It's the opposite of like xenophobia, right, which is the being, uh, repel strangers. We don't like strangers. We don't want to mix with them. But, but uh, philozenia is a love of strangers. It's to love strangers like their brothers, or another way to treat outsiders as though they are family. And, and therefore, just by its very definition, biblical hospitality is counterintuitive, right? We, we love family and not family. Outsiders are outsiders. They're not family because they're outsiders. But to love them as though they're family is something that God doesn't just, uh, doesn't just say is a good thing, it's not just part of who he is, right? It's something that he is even a command in the church. It's a, it's a, it's a virtue that's a chief virtue amongst Christians. In fact, do you know that it's a requirement to even be considered for church leadership? Now, one of the things that, that God tells us to look for, for our elders, our pastors, and to our deacons, is to make sure that they, are, they have a heart of hospitality. 
that they actually love other people? Think how significant that is. Because it's, it's one thing to be able to lead from the front as though you are commanding, but it's an entirely different thing to actually love people and to make them feel loved. But it's not just a requirement or a virtue for those who serve in the church and leadership. It's a command for all of us. If you're going to be part of God's family, we're even commanded to. I think one of the clearest ways we see that as a command is in Romans chapter 12, where we read in verse 13, practice hospitality very clearly. And this is a command. It's an imperative. It's the way the verb is. It's like there's no negotiation on this. And it's in the 12th chapter of Romans, which tells us something significant. Because Romans begins by giving us great doctrine, as telling us why we believe what we believe and what Christians do believe. But by the time you get to the 12th chapter, there's the so what. (laughs) This is how the, the faith then is supposed to be practiced because of everything that we do believe. And one of the things that's so important is that we practice hospitality. And I love how it says practice because it tells us that hospitality is more than just an attitude. It's an action, right? It's something that we're supposed to do. It's a way that something we're to apply in our lives. It's actively caring for the needs of other people. And hospitality is beautiful. It's attractive and it's powerful. I mean, look what it's done for just a, a corporation that's all about just getting money for Disney. It's made them an institution. That hospitality speaks deeply to who we are and our very core and our need. It brings value to people. In fact, that uh, the church practicing hospitality gained a reputation about being the friendliest place on earth. It's one of the reasons that the church began to grow and thrive in the midst of very hostile culture. And you think about when the church did begin, right? There was, uh, we had uh, Jesus was executed, which is kind of anti-Christian in that culture, Right? And then as it began to grow in Jerusalem, a very hostile environment, it grew every day. And we read in the book of Acts that one of the things that happened is that Christians started, they, they loved each other, they cared for each other, they met each other's needs, they, they liked meeting together. <laughs> they met, in fact, regularly, not just for worship in the general sense in the temple, but also in each other's homes. They learned how to like each other, right? And, and even though that they came from very, very different backgrounds, and the church began to expand in the Gospel of Acts, including both Jews and Gentiles, which was a phenomenon that had never happened in the history of the world before. And there were these great bonds of love that continued. In fact, if we go to 150 years around that after, you know, AD 150, so this is a, you know, basically a generation and a half after Jesus rose from the dead. This is about a generation and a half after we see uh, the Pentecost. We find that the church is still practicing biblical hospitality in a very hostile culture. At the time, there was this emperor named Hadrian, and Hadrian was no friend of Christians. He did a lot to, dis- to, to really uh, persecute Christians, and also he was no friend to the Jews either. He did all kinds of things, like he took uh, uh, Jerusalem and he plowed it up and he put a Roman city over the top of where Jerusalem was. He, he had a lot of Christians continuing to be hunted down by the Romans and, and to be executed in horrible ways, right? There was a lot of persecution, and he did not like them. Well, at the same time, it, during that type of environment and that hostility that's there, there was a, a, a philosopher, a Greek philosopher, he's a Stoic, and his name was Aristides. And he was thinking through like what was happening and he himself began an investigation as to why is it that these Christians continue to persist? And with all of the hostility and things, what about them makes them continue to meet? 
So Aristides went undercover and he began to investigate the church. And he started to, to meet with them and eventually he himself became a Christian. And as a result of his investigation, Aristides did something extremely brave. He wrote a letter to Emperor Hadrian explaining why he became a Christian and what he discovered when he was with the believers. And it's called the Apology of Aristides, the letter. And here's a portion of what he had to write. He says, they love one another. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their own homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. Kind of sounds like hospitality to me. And if there is any among them that are poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply, supply to the needy their lack of food. Such, O king, is their manner of life, and verily this is a new people, and there is something divine in the midst of them. Could something better be said about a church? This is their way of life. This is how the church lived and breathed. This is the culture of the church was a culture of biblical hospitality. Now, you notice this is the apology of Aristides. He's not saying to the emperor, I'm sorry I became a Christian. Apology means a defense of the faith. And in this letter, Aristides does a very good job telling the emperor, listen, they're not what, who you think they are, and I would advise you, O king, to become a Christian. <laughs> in this, he said the reason why, and he doesn't look so much to the doctrine as he gets there, he points to the love of one another as, as what defined the church and also what defended the church. And this is exactly what Jesus designed the church to be like. In the Gospel of John, chapter 13, Jesus tells his disciples this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. See, our love for one another is to be our calling card as believers. I mean, more than our, our doctrine, more than our virtue, more than, than our piety even. And all those are really important things in Scripture that we're supposed to cling to. But Jesus said our calling card, how the world will know we're legitimate, is how we care and love for one another. Brotherly love, according to Jesus, legitimizes our faith. And we see that bore out in Aristides' own letter. It transformed him. It changed his heart to the point of being willing to write to the emperor something that very easily could have had him executed. Hospitality is powerful. Love is a powerful thing. And what is the standard which Aristides and Jesus both point to? Jesus. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, in the same way, to the same manner, to the same degree. Just as Jesus loved us is the way that we're supposed to love one another. We have an example set before us, which is good. This is so much better than setting Disney as our standard. Because Jesus has done so much more for us than any corporation ever can. And how has Jesus loved us? How has he shown us hospitality? How has Jesus treated an outsider, a stranger, as though they belong, as though they are family? Well, remember last week we talked about it in Ephesians, our text? 
It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. That's the gospel, that we were separated from God. We were his enemies even, not just like uh, another nation, people that are on the outside, that, that we were God's enemies, and Christ died for us. And the effect is that he didn't just bring us into his kingdom as those who could be slaves, but those who belong as those are his own family. God has shown brotherly love to the outsider. That's the Christian experience. That's how we receive love from God. A true philosenia. God is a hospitable God. That's how deeply he loves us. That's how he demonstrated his love for us. But this is how Jesus loves us. This is the standard by which we are to love one another. Not just accept others because they are like us, not just to accept others because uh, we're friends, or not just to, to accept others because they were kind to us, but even our enemies, even those on the outside, can we treat them with kindness, anticipate their needs, draw them in as not as those who we want to exclude, but care for those and give them what they need so that they can be included in God's great household. This is the way that the church began. This hospitality is the DNA of the church, is who we are, but unfortunately, some things have been lost in translation over the last couple millennia. And as the world became uh, more hostile to church, it became over time, I think the church has become more inwardly focused and has become less hospitable. In fact, this week, uh, the timing was really good as I was going through this message, and uh, I got an email from Barna Research because I get, I'm on their e email list, and they had an article. That I want to share some things on that, and the article was titled this, Jesus Isn't the Problem, the Church Is. This came in on Wednesday, and they showed some research that, real fresh, this is really fresh research, but they, they polled hundreds of Americans at random, and asked them their opinions on several things about the church and about the faith, and they found some things that I thought were really interesting. The first one is they said that 71% of Americans have a positive opinion on Jesus. Now, this includes Christians and non-Christians, but the majority, the great majority of Americans have no issue with Jesus. Seven out of ten, perfectly fine, no issue with him. And I thought this was also encouraging, is that we found that that's 57% even have a positive opinion about Christianity, and far fewer than 50% of Americans are Christians. There's a lot of people in our culture that aren't going to church, that are separated from God, that they, they, they have no problem with Jesus, they have a positive idea, of it, and they even think that Christianity, our faith, is a pretty good thing. So why are they not connecting? Well, that's when the good news stops, and... Some of the bad news begins, but I think it's telling for us. It said that only 47% have a positive opinion about their local churches. Less than half of Americans think that the churches in their community are a good thing. And that includes the people who are Christians, who have a higher... Well, I thought it was interesting that not 100% of Christians had a positive view of, of their local church. It was actually uh, just barely more than half of Christians. But, but the local church has an identity problem. It's not viewed as the friendliest place on earth. <laughs> it's not viewed as a good thing by the majority of people in our culture. And why is that? Well, the church, as we know, is not just an institution. It's a place of people. And, and our culture has some bad ideas or bad opinions about who Christians are, starting with leaders. 
This was hard for me. 44% of our culture have a positive opinion about pastors. That was difficult, but that's something I've experienced. Like if I go golfing, I make everybody else feel really good because I'm such a bad golfer that no matter how bad you are, you're just amazing, right? And we get along really well until the inevitable question comes up, what do you do? And as soon as I tell them I'm a pastor, it's amazing, I am a pariah. And everybody walks on the other side of the golf course and, and, and the rest of the round is a very lonely one. And, th- and there's a reason, I think pastors have earned that in a way, that some ways that we haven't been as kind and compassionate or consistent in the faith. There's, there's things that we need to do and it, this is something as, I can't believe I've been in it for 20 years, but we need to, as leaders in the church, really take an inward look and say, how are we showing the love that we've experienced from God? But as much as the community doesn't like pastors, get this, this shocked me, 26% have a positive opinion about Christians. I don't know how they like me more than they like you. That just, it doesn't make any sense to me because I know you. But the reality is that in our culture, three out of four people, if you tell them you're a Christian, will, will think something negative about you just because of your faith. We have this to come up against. They obviously don't think that we're good. And if that wasn't enough, this was, this was a thing, that only 16% have a positive opinion about megachurches and 15% have a positive opinion about megachurch pastors, celebrity pastors. So if you think the solution for us is to have a big, fancy church and that's going to make our culture love Jesus, it's not. I think the heart of all of this came into a next step, which they they broke it down into a, a, a different study, but it was also very recent and it was part of that same article. But in there, it talked about really people's opinions about kind of the culture of, of the church. And it said this, only 21% of non-Christians view Christians as friendly. And it was the same uh, statistic for the church. One in five people in our culture, including Christians, believe that <laughs> Christians are friendly. Actually, it's non-Christians. Believe that Christians are friendly, which means that only one in five of, of our, in this culture, that aren't part of the church, believe that we have hospita- are hospitable in any way. They feel, in fact, a majority of them, almost 70%, view the church as judgmental and Christians as judgmental, as being uh, repellent of those who aren't like us. Why is it that the culture feels this way? Because we're supposed to be the friendliest place on earth. We have a God who's treated us outsiders as though we are insiders. We have a God who loved us deeply, that has given us a new command as part of our DNA. In fact, I would say even in this church, there's a lot of love for one another. Why is it that we've gained this horrible reputation as being one of the least friendly places on earth? And what are we going to do about it? Well, if you have your Bibles, there's a solution. And I never like to bring you to a bad spot without something good, because we are people of the good word and the good news. And God has a solution for us, and it's found all through Scripture, but I think succinctly, kind of a great summary of it, is in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. So if you're a Bible, I'd like you to turn there. And remember that the book of Hebrews, New Testament, it was written to a group of Christians that were being persecuted horribly, Hebrew Christians who were being persecuted horribly, right? They were risking their lives to even meet together or even holding on to their faith. And, and the temptation at the time was for them to 
forfeit their belief in their Messiah and just go back to being Jews where they wouldn't suffer such great persecution. And so God, through the Holy Spirit, had the book of Hebrews written to them and as a defense of the faith, shows them very specifically why it's important that Jesus is superior, that he's the fulfillment of all things, but he's superior to anything else we could ever hope for. And by the time we get to chapter 13, that's the so what area, just like with Romans where we were at in Romans 12. It's to say, well, because of all these truths, because Jesus is real and because of who he is and because of what he's done, this is how we're supposed to live. And, it, and in Hebrews 13, he gives us then, the scripture gives us, and it, really a way of saying, how do we live as Christians in an authentic way in a hostile culture? Now, do we have a hostile culture? Yeah, most people don't like us. So how do we address that? Look at how the, uh, the scripture gives us some instruction here. It says here in verses 1 through 3, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now continue to remember those who are in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. You notice that in the midst of this hostile culture, when the church could have easily, you know, the, a lot of them were killed for their faith or tortured and tormented for their faith, the so what includes a very core call back to hospitality. And it's easy for us when we're being attacked to be defensive and to build walls and be like, well, let's just let this pagan culture die and don't let them in, <laughs> right? But instead, there's a deep call back to our roots towards friendliness, towards hospitality. In fact, he tells them to say, listen, you need to maintain and really be the friendliest place on earth. And he gives us really three good steps, that processes, that things that, that must happen in order for that to take place. And the first one he calls us to is to love your church family. You notice that he says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. That's what he says. Keep on doing it. That the church is not supposed to just have a great marketing campaign, and we're not supposed to just be customer service focused and then be hollow on the inside. There has to be a deep and, and, and robust, true fellowship of love, a, a brotherly connection, a family connection with the church. We need to love each other at, at a core that is before anything else. I mean, how silly would it be to welcome somebody into the family if the family's mean? We don't want to do that. And this is one thing that I love about our church family is that this is a very loving church. I think of how many ways, even this beginning of this year, how our church has met each other's needs and cared for each other and loved one another and prayed for each other. Like, and even after services or before services, how you get together and you talk and you fellowship, it's a beautiful thing that this is a real family of faith. And your love for one another is rich and it's beautiful and it's a core. And we must never lose that and keep that as a very high priority. If we don't love one another, then we can't really do any of the other things. It just becomes shallow. And this, I believe, is a problem that a lot of the megachurches have, is they've grown very big, but they also haven't grown tight. And it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work to, to grow close together. I have saw one really big, amazing church that's done this well, real-life church. It's, it's an amazing church up in uh, um, Idaho. And their pastor, and I spent some time talking with him, how they've grown really, really large. It's one of the 10 largest churches in the country. And they have a reputation for being friendly. They have more people attending that church than are in the entire county when they're at because people drive 
distance to be able to be there. Why? Because they focus on life groups, they focus on connection, they focus on loving one another deeply. So it doesn't matter the size of the church, but oftentimes as we get big, we get prideful or we get only connected with a few people. We need to make sure that we're loving one another, real core. Now, in addition to this, and I think we, we as a church, to be honest with you as your pastor, I think we do this really well. The next thing, though, is something I think we can work on, and that's this, is to welcome strangers. You notice he says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. Why is it we don't forget? Because sometimes when we get so uh, connected in loving one another that we forget there's other people there. When my wife and I went on uh, uh, last year, about a year ago, you, you let us go to uh, Hawaii, I got to see you know, my family's property, and we would go visit churches over there. And, and sometimes they had great love for one another because of a small community or whatever, and they had a lot of guests there, so they're like, eh. And how lonely we would feel oftentimes as we would walk in, and people were all talking to each other, and there's a lot of love for one another, but we weren't included. And instead of that being an attractive thing for us, when you feel like you're on the outside, look how the bonds have, are close to these people. They forgot to love those who were coming into their churches. And, and we just felt ignored. We felt like we didn't matter. And maybe the pastor would say hi to us, maybe a greeter would say hi to us, but really there was no connection, and, and it was really difficult uh, for us. So as we love one another, we need to make sure that we remember the stranger, that we don't forget that. As we're having conversation, that remember that our worship service on Sunday is an opportunity to welcome those who are on the outside, to make them feel not just as, as outsiders, but as like they belong, that they're family. And, you know, I, I love how it says in here that God actually even sends secret shoppers. He says that sometimes, as you're showing hospitality, you entertain angels. Like the boss is sending us people to come in. You have no idea who's coming. Maybe some of your angels today. Great. Glad you're here. Give us a good report, right? <laughs> but the thing is, that that's how important it is. That we treat one another, not as even like they're angels, but as though they are Christ himself. Which really goes to the next thing is that we need to proactively serve one another. He says, continue to remember those in prison as you were together with them in prison. And he says also, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were mistreated. That we don't just go with pity and be like, well, you know, I don't know what that's like, so, but sorry. Put ourselves in their shoes, anticipate their needs, enter into the suffering and pain and loneliness with them, serving one another, actually doing something. Which, when I read this, brought to my mind Matthew 25, which talks about the, the separation of sheep and goats, which is, if you're not familiar with it, Jesus said that when he comes back, there's going to be a judgment. And, and part of that judgment, he's going to bring together all these people who have some relationship with him, and he's going to separate them into two classes, and one is going to be called sheeps, and the other is going to be called goats. And on the goats, they're going to say, hey, we did all these great things. He's like, yeah, but I didn't know you. And on the sheeps, they, they, they see that to the sheep. <laughs> they, they, have, uh, they just saw the bad word that the, that the goats had, so they're worried. And Jesus said, hey, come into my kingdom. And they're like, well, wait a second, we why would we do that? And he said, because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was lonely, you, you comforted me. And then they want to make sure that there wasn't going to be an audit in heaven. They're going to find out they were guilty. And they said, whoa, 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 whoa. When on earth did we see you hungry or naked or, or cold or, or alone or in prison? And Jesus said to them, 
Surely I tell you, however you, whenever you've ministered or treated one of the least of my brother and sisters that way, you also treated me that way. So when we serve one another, we recognize that we're not just serving other people, that we're serving Christ himself. He takes it really personal. And so when you're opening the door for, for a guest to come in, it's not just that an angel might come, but realize that you are, very, you are treating a child of God. And Jesus is saying, however you treat them is exactly how you're treating me. And if Jesus came into this room today, would you smile? Or would you be like, mm. would you ignore him? Would you comfort him? If, if Jesus was in our, in our midst and he was going through a really hard time with his health or with his job or, or, or with a relationship and he was feeling lonely or depressed or down, would we ignore him? It's important that we treat each other and treat even the outsider as though very much as they are Christ. And our attitude should match. In fact, attitude matters a whole lot in how we treat. And think about when you serve the king of kings, we don't go to him with a, with a frown on our face. If, if we wouldn't say, Lord, may you be worshipped. I'm so happy that I get to serve. Right? If we, think about even when you go to a nice restaurant. Have you ever gone to a nice restaurant and, and, and then got horrible service and it just messed it up? You got a snooty waiter or staff that just snaps at you and they make you feel like you're, right? That, that ruins it. And you could, or you go to a subpar restaurant, but they treat you really well. It totally changes things. When we treat the Lord, we want to treat him with the right attitude. We want to be good hosts to the Holy Spirit and to God. We want to make sure that God sees from our actions how much we love him and how welcome he is. We want to bring pleasure to him. And if we can do that with our attitude towards Christ, we are supposed to also treat each other with a good attitude. That's why in Scripture all the way through, we see so many times that it tells us, don't just serve one another, but, but your attitude matters. Look at 1 Peter. Right? He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. That this is not bad news that we get to care for one another and love one another. This is who we are. We're supposed to be the friendliest place on earth in truth because we have the friendliest God. And our God is so kind to us and good to us and he's so worthy. And we treat one another in the same way that we would like to treat him. So let us not grumble when we say, well, I guess I have to greet today. I got to go say hi to somebody. <laughs> Love one another because you've been loved. Do it. Like, each of you should, whatever gift you have received to serve others, as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms, right? There's lots of different ways to show hospitality. God's made you unique. And there's a lot of different ways to serve in our church and as the church. But our attitude matters to show up with a heart of expectation and anticipation and, and the opportunity that every single time I see somebody at church, I have an opportunity to show God exactly how much I love him, to show worth to everybody. And so we see that so how does the church become the friendliest place on earth again? It's not hard. It's not rocket science. We, we love our church family. Continue to do that, brothers and sisters. You are so good at this. But also welcome strangers. Be more aware of those who, who come into our midst, of those who, that we live around, to see them and to care about them and to practice our, our, how we serve one another proactively. Not just see a need and say, well, I hope that gets met. But but to be able to use whatever gifts and abilities and opportunities we have to care for one another. Remember the, the apology of Aristides? Man, even with sometimes people were hungry and they didn't have the money themselves at the time to be able to give them food, they would fast two or three days to make sure everybody was cared for. That is love. We care for each other in spirit and in truth, just like we love our God. So how are we going to do that at our church?
Because this is a good message, right? And you're all like, yeah, man, this is a fantastic message. But how do you apply it? How we thought about this? And I spent several weeks really working in and, and really thinking about how do we overcome the negative view that culture has against our f- church family? And not because we're part of all of the church families. That we really can be the friendliest place on earth and we can change it. In fact, I would say that the low bar really makes things better for us because the expectation is so low that when people come in and we go above that, they'll be shocked and and amazed. So what do we be doing in order to, to step over that tiny, tiny low bar? Well, we need to anticipate needs, right? We need to create time and space for fellowship. We need to develop a culture of kindness and of love. And this is how we're going to be planning on doing that. The first thing is that we're building a hospitality ministry. And I've asked uh, Pam Michalik and my wife Amy to give some leadership to that. These are two women who have a gifting for hospitality, and so we thought we would let those who are really strong in that category uh, help. And they've been studying and, and uh, doing some research and putting together some ideas or thoughts and, and really giving some good observations from the outside of what we're doing well and what could be done better, talking to a number of people. It's been great. And uh, the goal is that no one in our church exists in this church in an unloved state. And no one comes to a church worship service and leaves unloved. And this is what the, that's, the, that's the target, that's the goal, and they're working on that. And in this, uh, we're meeting with some staff and, and you know, like plans. We've developed and, and discovered that there's actually a lot of opportunities. In fact, I'll tell you, 18 opportunities for each service every Sunday to intentionally, if you want to be trained and to do this, to be able to demonstrate love and hospitality just in the worship services alone. And uh, but those things are for like greeters and prayer teams and hosts. And there's one thing that I like to call like stranger rangers or social butterflies. And if you want to know what that's all about, then I want you to come to, we have a, a dinner this coming Wednesday right here at the church. So we're going to talk about this ministry and what we're going to be doing as a church to intentionally begin growing a, a, a culture of hospitality in the church. If you'd like to learn more about that, then you want to come here on Wednesday at six o'clock for a dinner. Well, what day? Yeah, what time? Yeah, and there's going to be food, which means that we need to know you're coming because I want to make sure there's food enough for everybody. So if you'd like to do that, you're going to see that on your connection card. Let us know you're going to be there. Or the other thing is not just to have a hospitable church, but we also want to have a hospitable space. Oh, it's next Wednesday. Amy's the 31st. Amy's telling me. The 31st. Next Wednesday, the 31st. All right. Yeah, because times and dates matter. Another thing we're going to have is creating a welcoming space. I've been amazed by this, is how a space matters. Um, as we, um, if you go into somebody's home and it's, it's designed for fellowship, there's like chairs that are properly placed and the lighting is nice and right, there's not like hard like rap music playing that you can't talk to each other and like that. Right? Like you can create a space that facilitates warmth. Disney's done a great job at that, but a lot of other places too. And, we've, and, and uh, looking at our space, what are we doing that, that just with the place that we have and the things that we have, how can we make our place more hospitable? How do we create that time and space? So you're going to see us try a couple different things uh, as, we, as we build into that. That's why. It's not just to try new things. It's to, to be able to show hospitality, anticipate needs, and to make you and others feel loved. If you'd like to get involved in that, because I don't have any feng shui or whatever they call that. I'm not good at this at all. 
But there are people in our church that show that have are gifted with that. And if you are interested in helping us, there is a dinner on the 31st, not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday after at 6 o'clock right here. And if you'd like to learn more or maybe how you can get involved, I'd love for you to join us with that. The last thing we want to do as a church, this is all of us, is to practice hospitality. And that's something for all of us. That's a command in Scripture, but it's also a joy. Now, for some of you, that comes naturally because you're just naturally gifted, hospitable people. You like people. Some of you are more introverted, and that's a little more difficult. And some of you are just more naturally grumpy. And God made you that way, and it's okay. But all of us need to practice hospitality. And there are things that we can do as a church to increase the friendliness factor, to wow our guests, but also to love each other in a better way. And and I'm going to give you five because you know I love five, because most of us have five fingers, right? And here are things I'm going to ask all of us to do to, to help increase this. The first one is I would like you to greet five people each Sunday. Now, that's why I wanted you to have five fingers. So when you say hi to somebody, you can just close your fingers down or open them up. I don't care how you do it. If you could make two of those people that you don't know well, in fact, if you could find a stranger for at least two of those, that would be your, your, your challenge. To the goal is to not have anybody leave this church any Sunday without being actually greeted. And you don't have to have a deep conversation with everybody. Not everybody wants that. It could just be like, hi, welcome. And if you don't know their names, don't be ashamed to say you don't know their names. I forget people's names all the time because I'm me, right? But here's the thing, is that it matters. And so if you don't know them, you can say, I think I've seen you here a lot of times. My name is this. Could you please remind me of your name? That's how you can do it. And if somebody says that to you, don't be offended. They want to get to know you. Right? It, it's an easy thing. I'm just glad that you're here today. Welcome. That's, that's all you have to say. And when you do say that, try smiling. <laughs> right? One thing be like, mm, you're here. That versus hi. <laughs> just try it. Smiles feel good. It works out the face. It'll give you good, beautiful wrinkles in the right places. So just try it. As we greet five every Sunday, and every one of us does this, I'm going to ask us to also turn in your connection cards. And you know I've been asking you to do that for a long time. And for our guests here, I'm going to peel back the curtain a little bit for this so you can get to see something that's uh, one of the reasons I do that. Yes, I pray for you every week, and I do want to know how God is working in your lives, and this gives me a way to do that. But also, when everybody turns in their connection card, guests want to feel like they're on the inside. Like for years in our church, we had guest cards or visitor cards. We don't even call them visitors because visitors are like aliens, but guests, one in our home. So you're a guest. But we had guest cards and nobody ever turned in one ever. Ever. But if everybody turns in a connection card, guests don't want to feel like they're on the outside. So guess what they're going to do? They're going to turn their connection card. And you know that I've run the numbers on this and people who turn in connection cards who for the very first time or second time, they are four times more likely to become a member of our church. Four times, 400% for you mathematicians. That's a big number. That we increase the ability to help people find love and connect. Why? Because when they turn that connection card, immediately they're getting prayed for. From Sunday afternoon, they're on my prayer list and we're praying for them because God's working in their heart. There's a reason they came. And I want them to, to have God meet their felt needs, but also to meet more than they're at. And God does powerful things. They get an email from me that lets them know they were here. They get a handwritten card from me. And all of you guests, you can close yours. They get a surprise gift from me because I love them. It's amazing how being shown hospitality makes a difference in helping people feel loved. And they come back. But you know what they're not going to do? Is put their connection cards in there if everybody else doesn't do it. So I know some of you are like, why do I have to do this every single week? 
even if you don't put, if you don't want to, I'll, I'll make a, a, a deal with you. You don't even put your name on it. Just drop it in the basket. <laughs> right? I'll have an anonymous prayer for you. God knows who you are. But turn them in. And encourage one another to do that. Something else. If you haven't done so ever, join a life group. The early church and the church all the way from the beginning, one of the reasons that we learned to love one another is because they met together more just in this space. Y'all looking at me right now, but really you need to learn how to look at each other and care for each other. That happens in a smaller group setting. It's one of the reasons Real Life Church does such a great job at this, building uh, community. And we're actually uh, looking at how we can even make our life groups a friendlier space as well to build even greater connection. But to connect... If you haven't done it, then do it. There's a sign-up sheet on the back there. You can write on your connection card uh, any point that you want to be in a life group and we'll help you connect. Something else we could do there is, is to attend fellowship events because they're fellowship events. So we can fellowship. That's how we get to learn who each other are. There's two different services. Uh, we're going to have one next week, right? Which is going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be a fiesta and tacos and all kinds of great things. Come join us next week at 10 o'clock and join those. We have a few of them each year. They're going to be great. Just make an effort. Make that a priority. Not something else I'm going to ask you to do is to prepare your heart each Sunday before you come. You know the enemy wants us to be separated. He, he, he attacks you every single week before you come. And that's why I pray for you and I pray over every one of these chairs. When I pray over the chairs, I'm praying over you as well. I'm asking God to, to, to meet with you and to bless you. But you know what? You need to prepare your own heart. Even as you're driving, just say, God, help me to, to worship you. <laughs> right? Help me to, to love my, my fellow Christians, because maybe you had a rough week and, and you kind of are having a difficult time. You say, God, help me be others-focused and not just self-focused today. Just have a quick prayer. Even in your heart and your head as you're driving into the church, prepare your heart to be ready for God to serve the Lord because every person that you see here is an opportunity to serve Jesus. The great thing that is. Can we do this to greet five, turn in your connection cards, to join a life group, to attend fellowship events, and prepare your heart? It shouldn't be hard, but I tell you, the power of it is amazing. So now I'm going to ask you to make commitments because here's the deal, that we're going to follow Jesus. What why I call them next steps because we're not a church that observes Jesus. We're a church that is, follows after Jesus. We are disciples of his. So here's some things I'm going to challenge you to make, take some next steps this week to, to say to God, yes, I'm ready to do this. I want to follow. And, and God does work in our commitments, right? So these are on your connection cards. You can mark them down. Let me know what they are so that way I can pray for you and support you in that. But the very first one is to read Psalm 23. You will be amazed, maybe, like I was this week, at how hospitable God is. In fact, it's all the way through Scripture, even in this well-known and beloved psalm, that, that God is truly an amazing host. And partly, uh, that taught me that hospitality is a godly thing, right? I want to be more like Christ. And so maybe you read that passage and you see what God has already done for you, because it's hard to give what you haven't received. But sometimes we've just taken what God has given us for granted, and we don't really see it. So take some time this week, read Psalm 23. Something else you want to do is uh, to ask God to develop a hospitable heart in you. Now, take some time and just pray this week, God, show me how I can be more hospitable, how I can love other people better, how I can be more Christ-like. Ask him to reveal that, and he will. God's good at answering prayers. As we do that, then the third thing is to actually practice hospitality. How are we going to do that? Well, there's five things that I've asked us to do that you're going to say, I want to be doing this uh, together, right? As, as, as a whole church, that we get together, I'm going to be greeting people, at least five, maybe two folks that I don't know at least every week. If you're, if you're an extrovert, you can increase that number. I made it low for, for our introverts because I love them, but, uh, but, but greet people. You want to make sure that turning in your connection card is going to be a really big thing. 
to being in a life group. If you're not, say, I'm going to make that commitment. I'm going to grow into that. Uh, if, you, if you haven't done so already, that's going to be a great next step, that, that you're going to be, begin to practice your hospitality in, in, a, in a real, true way here at the church and, and, and to be part of becoming the friendliest place because you are the church. Last thing we're going to have there is to attend our hospitality info dinner. That's on 531, not this Wednesday. I don't know why I would say it's next Wednesday at 6 p.m. And to let us know that you're going to be here so we can provide a delicious meal for you and, and talk about what we're going to be doing as a church to continue to grow in our friendliness. Now, I've given you all something to do. Please let me know what it is. And I know that all of you will be dropping your connection cards into the offering to basket today. But please do that as it's passed. But as you prepare yourself for that, consider what God has for you. Let me just pray this blessing over us. Father God, we thank you that you love us deeply and profoundly. That you're not just a shepherd over us, that you're a host who has welcomed us in. That you've given us a, a ministry of love and not of, of, of just bitterness or judgment. That you've created in us a, a new kind of heart, a new kind of place, a new kind of culture to be in. One in which we belong in. And Father, I pray for those who feel like they're on the outside right now. Maybe separated from you or separated from this church family. God, I pray that you would draw us together as, as your church family. That, that you would uh, remind them that they belong. Give them that sense of, of welcome that only you can do. But I pray, Father, that you would grow us as a church, as a, being a, a friendly and a kind church that, that represents your goodness to this world in a way that, uh, that uh, is in line with your, even your new command, that we would truly, truly love one another, that we would continue to care for each other and that we'd remember to show hospitality to the stranger and we would be proactive in how we serve one another. So, Father, if you make commitments today, may that be what's on our heart, that, that we welcome your Holy Spirit into our lives in a new and in a greater way, and that this church would grow in that love. And, Father, that uh, this world who's uh, just so broken, that those who have such need for love would find you here. That's what we want. So, Father, may that blessing fall upon us, that we would be salt and light and goodness in this culture. Father, as those who go today, would you uh, show your kindness on them and your love? Bless them richly this week as they practice hospitality in their hearts and lives. Father, we pray this all in the wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus. 